I'd like us to look at Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 uh, this morning. Uh, sometimes when we pray, we might have that niggle as to whether we're asking the right thing, uh, whether our prayers are really in line with what God wants. Well, we can always be certain that the prayers we find in Scripture uh, are uh, inspired in the full sense. Uh, the Holy Spirit was moving Paul to pray this way and to write it down for us. So we can be confident uh, that these prayers express the will of God for His people. Uh, this is the second of two prayers in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, beginning there in Ephesians 3 and verse 14. Uh, these are prayers in which Paul seeks uh, that Christians would come to know uh, more fully uh, the privilege and the status that is theirs as Christians. Uh, that it would cease to be simply theory on the page of our Bibles and that we would have a fuller grasp in our experience of what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, back in chapter 1, Paul has been praying uh, that their eyes would be opened, the eyes of their hearts, uh, so that they would know and they would see and, and that they would be given uh, to recognise that the Holy Spirit is at work in them as the power of resurrection. Uh, the power that raised Christ from the dead also raised them and us as Christians uh, from the death of our sins uh, into resurrection life. He wants us to know the greatness of the power uh, that is already at work in us as Christians. Uh, according to the working of His great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the grave uh, to the heights of heaven. That was Paul's first prayer back in chapter 1. Uh, but here in chapter 3, uh, it seems that he has in mind uh, the working of that same power. In verse 20, he's talking about what God can do abundantly above our imaginations according to the power that's at work in us according to that resurrection power uh, that initiated the Christian life, that began it all, uh, God is going to continue to work uh, with that divine, uh, almighty uh, power, energy uh, in the lives of Christian people. Now the object of Paul's prayer in chapter 3 is that by that resurrection power, uh, Christians might grasp more of the love of Christ. More of the love of Christ. And by extension, he's praying for us as well. In verse 18, it's a prayer uh, for all the saints. And so it should be our desire and our prayer. Uh, the precise way that this prayer is answered in our experience, I think, is a secondary concern. Uh, perhaps the Lord shows His love in different ways. Uh, sometimes He gives us mountaintop highs. Uh, but sometimes He takes us through a really difficult time. Uh, and at the end of that time, we, we realize that He still loves us. And we've seen His love from, from an angle that we'd never seen before. Uh, we would never have experienced that without the suffering. Uh, sometimes the Lord takes us on a, a gradual path of, of learning more and more about the cross and how Jesus' death shows us God's love. And we learn step by step and gradually 
uh, but sometimes he breaks into people's lives. Uh, we read of experiences in times of revival, uh, which seem to echo Pentecost, where the Lord comes in like a flood uh, to an individual or a group or a church or a community. Uh, the way that this prayer is answered in experience, I think, is a secondary concern. That's in the Lord's hands, how he chooses to do that. Uh, Paul's prayer will not be answered if we spend our time navel-gazing. Have I had this experience? Have I had that experience? Uh, Paul's prayer will be answered when we are taken up with gazing at the love of Christ and seeing more and more of Christ's love. Now when you're climbing a mountain uh, and you're up close, you only see the immediate obstacle. A little glimpse here and a little glimpse there. Uh, but sometimes you get to the peak of a mountain and you look across the whole range and you see it in its enormity. And I think Paul wants us to do that here. Uh, perhaps we can get glimpses of Christ's love in this text or that text of Scripture uh, through Christian fellowship or, or uh, providential kindnesses. Uh, but Paul seems to want us to step back and to try, if we can even imagine this, uh, to imagine contemplating all of Christ's love in one go, as a whole. And it's clear that if we could do that, it would be absolutely overwhelming. Uh, we can't look at the sun with, with a naked eye. It would burn us. Uh, and likewise, uh, if we are to look at the love of Christ, in all its enormity, and all its intensity. Uh, we couldn't do that uh, without being strengthened and without uh, being protected. Paul's prayer here uh, is asking then that we might look at this immensity of Christ's love. And I think his prayer shows us that overwhelming immensity in, in several ways. Uh, first of all, as Redeemed human beings, as Christians, Paul tells us that we need to be strengthened in order to bear Christ's love in fuller revelations. Uh, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might. Imagine you make some uh, home-brewed ginger beer. Uh, you want to make sure that you've got some really good bottles with really good lids uh, because once it starts to bubble, the bottles will crack if they're not strong enough. Uh, you need a strong enough container. In the Old Testament, uh, the temple was filled with the glory of God to such an extent that the people couldn't come close. Uh, they had to stand at a distance. Uh, when the Apostle John met with the risen Lord. He fell on his face. He couldn't bear it. It was too much uh, for him. And we will not be able to bear seeing him face to face as he is until we have those glorified resurrection bodies. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard uh, what he has prepared uh, for us. We will see him because we will be like him uh, when we uh, get to heaven. Uh, we just couldn't bear uh, the full uh, revelation of Christ's love. Uh, what we have now, here and now, are, are just foretastes. We couldn't bear more. We're not strong enough. And so Paul is praying 
uh, the Christians might be strengthened. The Holy Spirit is restricting our, his manifestations of Christ uh, to the capacity of, of our weakness. Uh, Christ's love is so great that we would need to be fortified, uh, reinforced before we could cope with more. And so uh, Paul prays then for this strengthening in the inner man. Is that why revival tarries? One reason uh, that we're not ready, uh, we're not pre- prepared, we're not being uh, submitting to, to going through God's gymnasium in order to get this strengthening. And so we simply couldn't bear more. Often it seems that that's why revival only lasts for a short period. God gives as much as people could bear. He knows our frame. He knows our weakness. And Paul prays that we would be strengthened as Christians in order that we might receive more. But we see how immense this love is because Paul also tells us what kind of strengthening we need. Uh, how, how much strengthening do we need? How much do we need to be fortified that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory uh, to be strengthened in the inner man? How do you measure God's glory? That's how much we need to be strengthened if we were to really see Christ's love in all its fullness. Uh, do you measure God's glory by creation? Uh, by the millions of stars in the, sea and, in the sky and, uh, and all the creatures in the earth and the sea and, uh, and the sheer power of, of a lightning storm or, or, a, or an ocean wave? Do we measure God's glory by that? Uh, do we measure God's glory by, by the exodus and the way he rescued his people from, uh, from the, the, the uh, slavery in Egypt? Uh, do we measure God's glory by Sinai? Uh, where he gave the law and, and, and the cloud and the thunder and the fire uh, so that people were so terrified? Uh, do we measure God's glory by Moses' experience where he had to be hidden in, in the cleft of a rock uh, so uh, that he could just see the back of God passing? Do we measure God's glory by the Shekinah uh, the, the glorious presence that fell on the temple uh, by those ecstatic experiences of Isaiah and Ezekiel. All of those. Uh, but we see it more than that in the saving work of Christ. Uh, that the Son of God Himself would take a human body uh, and live for us and die for us. Uh, it shows us something of God's glory by the ongoing works of Christ in the church by His Holy Spirit. How do we measure God's glory? Well, by all of these and much, much more. And that is the measure by which we would need to be strengthened uh, to bear a full revelation of Christ's love to our hearts. Thirdly, the power that is necessary is that of the Holy Spirit. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit. Uh, through His Spirit. Uh, think of His Spirit uh, hovering almost dove-like over the dark void of, of creation. And as uh, God speaks, the Spirit's energy conforms nothingness into all that God wants to create 
as God speaks, the Spirit is the agent in bringing it about. I think of the incarnation where the Spirit hovered over Mary in a similar way and out of a virgin's womb brought forth a new life of our perfect Saviour. I think of His works in the new creation, raising Christ's dead body back to life and raising sinners like you and me into, into new life. The Holy Spirit's power at work in us is that resurrection power. And and it's that power. Uh, Christ's love is so great that we would need to be strengthened with that power uh, to bear a fuller revelation of His love. Uh, Christ's love is so immense that it can only be communicated to us. Uh, Fourthly, uh, by the indwelling presence of Christ the personal disclosure Uh, there is no real knowledge of Christ's love apart from Christ's indwelling Uh, the bare words of scripture can tell you about that love but they cannot communicate that love whilst whilst the words stay outside of you Uh, Paul tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly Those objective facts, the finished work of redemption, are insufficient whilst they're outside of you. And yet Jesus' promise was that I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'll come and dwell with you. And I will manifest myself to you. Without that coming, we would be orphans. Loveless in the world. God's love is an infinite ocean. It does us no good until we swim in it, until we drink of it. Uh, To know Christ's love only in theory is to fall short of Christ's love. Because Christ's love is never theoretical. It is always real, uh, infinitely real and practical. Uh, Only a personal disclosure from the indwelling Christ I can communicate more of this love to us. Fifthly, this love is so great that it's inaccessible to our natural faculties. You can't see it with your eyes or feel it or smell it or hear it or taste it. You can't perceive it in your natural state, darkened in sin. The only way you can see this love is through the faculty of faith. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. A faith is the organ that sees Christ's love in all its magnitude. Only faith can stretch to comprehend it. Faith is not native to us. We're born into the world as fragile, sinful human beings. We don't have faith. Ephesians 2.8 says it's a gift of God. You're saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. When it comes to comprehending Christ's love then, His love is so great, we have to pray, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's so great that no natural power can grasp it. Only what God works in us. Christ's love is the greatness of it. It's seen in, in the fact that it is uh, the base of our faith. 
verse 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Uh, that Christ's love would be uh, your foundation. A well-rooted plant uh, it can't be dislodged by a storm. It can't dry up in a drought. Its roots hold on tight and it draws that life-giving fluid uh, through its leaves and its trunk. And where the foundations are dug deep into a solid bedrock, uh, the building remains standing and can reach up to great heights. Uh, So is Christ's love to our spiritual life. That's our foundation. uh, The foundation from which a Christian cannot be dislodged. Uh, Paul says, I know nothing in, uh, uh, nothing in heaven or, or earth or the future or the past. Uh, anything in all of creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That must be our foundation. Uh, that's the great base on which we build. But, uh, further, uh, Christ's love is the summit of our faith. It is so great. It's not just the foundation. It's the peak as well. Uh, verse 18, that you might be able to comprehend. We're reaching now uh, to the heights, just as there's no other foundation uh, for faith than Christ's love. Uh, so there's no other goal. There's no greater thing to comprehend. Uh, there is nothing else in, in, in all the world as, as, as great as this to know. People get degrees. They become world experts in this and that. I I guess it's possible, Uh, they say a PhD involves learning basically everything about nothing. So much about something so small, it's possible to come to an exhaustive knowledge of one tiny field and everything that can be known about that in this world. But it is impossible to come to an exhaustive knowledge of the love of Christ. It's the best thing to know. It's the purest thing to know. Our knowledge goes out of date. A weeks pass and it's no longer relevant. Someone's learned something new or disproved the theory. Great minds pass away. They age and they die and what they knew is forgotten. But the simplest Christian can come to a knowledge of the love of Christ that far surpasses all the encyclopedias in the world and can never be taken away, and never robbed from you. Christ's love is too great for words. Verse 18. To comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. You notice that Paul doesn't actually say the width and length and depth and height of love. It's assumed that that's the object. But he doesn't actually say it. It's as though he's lost for words. Implicitly, he's talking about this love. And and he's saying, let me tell you about this love and how great it is. And its length and its height and its breadth and its depth. And what else can I say to communicate this to you? Uh, Because he goes on, this love surpasses knowledge. Whatever direction you look, whatever angle you choose to look at salvation from, you find Christ's love. You look back into your past, Christ's love has covered. Into your future, covering your present. Wherever you look, 
your deepest, darkest sin, your greatest blessing, uh, Christ's love, is so great that it leaves the Apostle Paul lost for words. Christ's love is so great that it's beyond human reach. It is a knowledge which is beyond knowledge. It's a knowledge that passes knowledge, uh, verse 19. Uh, Paul is struggling for words again, isn't he? The knowledge of Christ's love can't be found by philosophy or by science, by deduction and experimentation. You might be able to describe it, but every description is, is too abstract. It can never communicate the, the substance of being loved. You can describe the actions that love motivates. You can describe the attributes of love as pure and faithful and righteous and so on. And our minds should be exercised with these things. But describing love always falls short of the reality of being loved and of experiencing it. That's a gift of grace. That's something that you can't grasp simply with your intellect and your ingenuity. Christ's love is so great that no human can attain to it on their own. It's a gift so great that only uh, the absolute, infinite, almighty God can give it. Finally, Christ's love is infinitely intense. Verse 19. All of this leads to the statement that you might be filled uh, with all the fullness of God. Uh, Paul is praying that we might be saturated with God's absolute essential characteristic of, of love, His absolute blessedness, that, that we might somehow be, be filled up with that. Paul is lost for words about the dimensions of this love. He's drawing a map of the circumference. But God's love fills those dimensions. He's drawing out the infinite breadth and height and depth and, and length and he's lost for words. Uh, but now he says, consider the weightiness of the thing that fills that. The substance that, that fills those dimensions and leaves us lost in wonder, uh, love and praise. Uh, to think of the radiant outshining, the, the utter purity of God, the altogether holiness of this love, of this love that fills out these infinite dimensions. To know this is to know something of God Himself. Uh, to drink of this love is to become a partaker of the divine nature. Scripture teaches us uh, to draw conclusions about God's love from His actions in salvation. How do you know this love Oh, God commends His love to you in this, that while you are still a sinner, uh, Christ died for you. Uh, you can only know this love uh, through the cross. Uh, that's the only place where this love will flow into your life, where you see a man dying for you. And, and, and as you look at him, you, as you think of him, you're humiliated uh, because you realize that his purity shows up all your sinfulness. 
uh, that all your pride comes to nothing uh, because uh, God requires us to hang on a dying man if we would know blessedness. Uh, that our sin, uh, we see uh, its punishment poured out on him. Uh, we realise that we deserve that hell. Uh, we deserve to be hanging there crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we realise that he's done that so that we will never be forsaken by God, but that we might know his love, always his warm embrace, to know God is love and God is with me and God is for me. God doesn't love us because we're lovely. While we were still sinners, our love exists in God in eternity. Uh, where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are bound together in love without any reference to you and without any reference to me. They loved each other absolutely, eternally, infinitely. Uh, the Son, the exact express image of the Father, were told that he was, the Word was with God. The Word was face to face with God. The Son and the Father were face to face with one another in the sense of an absolute unhindered intimacy that the Father delight in in the perfections of the Son. Uh, we see the Son coming incarnate, uh, uh, living a, a life up to the age of about 30 and being still absolutely delightful to the Father. My Son in whom I am well pleased. We see him going through the temptations in the devil and standing firm and all that followed until the Mount of Transfiguration. He's still well-pleasing to the Father. We see him hanging on a cross. We see him dying for sin, bearing our curse, but then raised from the dead, unstained by sin, still a delight to the Father. And that is the substance that's the intensity, that's the love that fills out these dimensions. The love of God that flows to us is the love that the Father has for the Son uh, bound together in eternity uh, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, God's love doesn't originate in how lovely you are. God's love originates in what He is. He loves because He's God. And that love flows out. It flows out to other people. It flows out uh, to you. Uh, seeking this morning, you don't know God and yet His love is reaching out to you. It reaches out to the Christian who's backslidden. Uh, the Christian who's discouraged. God would say, you're loved. Look at the cross again. See my love again. Uh, that's what will keep you going. That's what will strengthen you. Remember in John 17... Jesus is praying to his Father that his people in every generation would become partakers of that same love. Christ's love comes to us because he willingly shares with us. Listen to these profound words. Jesus says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. 
that we as sinful, evil, wicked human beings might taste of the love that God the Father has for God the Son uh, through all eternity. Paul's prayer then here in Ephesians 3 is not that Christians would get some extra knowledge, something on top of Jesus Christ, something in addition to Jesus Christ, but that we might realise we've only tasted a drop and that we might seek Him to strengthen us, that we might bear more, that we might be able to see more of its fullness and more of its intensity and immensity and abundance. And that, that would drive us out to share that love with other people in a dark world where, where many have never heard a word of this love. And they think that God hates them. And they think that He is infinitely angry at them and there's no hope and they don't want to know Him because they've never heard of this. Paul wants us to know this love. Uh, to realise this love. But it's not something new. It's not something in addition to Jesus Christ. It's already bound up in the Jesus that you have as a Christian. Uh, to realise more of Him. You, you, as a Christian, you have Jesus. You've trusted Him. But do you realise how great a treasure uh, Jesus is? We were made as human beings with human souls we were made for this. We were made to live in this kind of love. Adam and Eve knew this kind of love. That's what we were made for. And nothing can satisfy our hearts less than this love. Do you doubt how valuable and worthwhile you are and, and whether there's any potential in your life? Well, you were made to know this kind of love as a human being, if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's your potential. And if you trust in Him and follow Him, that will be your experience uh, through all eternity. By God's grace, we can be strengthened to know this and saturated with this kind of love where every other love pales into insignificance. What does the world offer you in comparison uh, to this kind of love? Let me say to you, you can view sin through this. Sin is a rejection of this love. You read God's law and you think, He hates me, He wants to put me to death. No. He loves you. He gives you His laws because they're good. That's the right way to live. He doesn't want you to sin because He doesn't want you to die. It's of His love. But sin says, I don't want that. I'll do it my way. I will live my life and I'll climb my way into heaven. And I don't need that love. You ever question how wicked sin is? A sin can look at this kind of love and spit in its face and hang it on a cross and whip it until it's bleeding and mock it and laugh at it and rejoice when it dies. That's how wicked sin is. That's how evil we are. And that kind of wickedness deserves an eternity of hell, which, which is a separation from this love. Uh, can you imagine that? Uh, to know for eternity that this love was there and you rejected it. And of all the guilt that you carry, that must be the greatest guilt that you heard of this love. 
And your heart was so perverse that you rejected it. But this is the Gospel. That even though we've rejected this love, God keeps coming to us again and again and again and says, will you receive it? But I've rejected you before, Lord. Yes, but I'm offering it to you again. But Lord, I fell last time. I'm offering it to you again. That's the Gospel. You look at the cross and that's what you see. Once for all in history, God declares His love. I will be merciful to you. I come and bow at the foot of this cross. Come and trust in the man who's dying there. Is this not the nature of revival too? When the church begins to realize as a community, as individuals, that this is our gospel. That we have something to share. We have something that the world doesn't offer. Something that can grip people and change people. And as we're gripped by that and overwhelmed by it and our hearts are filled by it, we're coming close to revival if we're not already there. But revival is only a step in the path of the church. It always passes. It's not the end point. We're called to heaven. We're called to a place where we won't need a sun or a moon because this love shines like a light. And we'll never cry and all our sins will be taken away and our wounds and the things that hurt us because this love comes and wipes away every tear. And this love is so great that we will go on for eternity and learning more and more and more. And so where can we end? Where can we end? We'll end with Paul's words. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think, everything that we understand of this, everything that we hope for, He's able to do above that according to that resurrection power that works in us. To Him be glory, glory, glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.